turn to Nehemiah chapter 12. Nehemiah chapter 12 is where we will be today. Sniffles, sniffles today, so excuse me on those. I grew up, so my tradition, if you will, was quite reserved in its expressiveness when it comes to worship. I grew up at First Baptist Church, Plano, Texas, and generally when we would gather together as the church to worship God, it was pretty much like this, you know? You've probably been there, maybe you're still there even at Redeemer Community Church. It was quite reserved, unexpressive might be one way to say it. Got involved with Student Venture during high school. That's the high school ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ. It's now called Cruise Students. Was involved with that for two and a half years, and one of the interesting things about that was it was made up of Christian kids all over Plano coming from different traditions, and then we would go to these student venture conferences, whether out in California or here in Texas, where there'd be hundreds, if not thousands of young people getting together to worship Jesus, and, and it, was, it was more than I'd ever seen in worship, right? Because some of these kids are coming from different traditions. And so they would raise their hands in worship, and some of them would sway back and forth, and there was a whole lot more clapping than I was uh, used to. They would do their thing, and I would do mine, you know. I graduated Plano High in 1991, went on to Denton Bible Church. And uh, looking back on Denton Bible Church, it, it was certainly more open in its expressiveness of worship, but... I can remember Pastor Tom, and probably nobody in the world has had bigger influence on me, especially in my Christian life, than Pastor Tom Nelson. I can remember him one time saying to the congregation, say, hey, listen, while we're doing the singing up front, we're going to keep the doors open. And basically, you're welcome to come and go, but when we stop down and open the Bible, we shut the doors. And basically, what he was saying was that the singing was nothing more than a prelude to the sermon. You know, you could, you could come and sing if you want to, but if you wanted to, you know, you could just come in and out and do whatever. I think Tom has grown in, in that over the years, but, but that was one of the things I heard. Went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and I got to be there when Chuck Swindoll was the president. Have you ever seen Chuck Swindoll sing? It's glory. Right? We're at chapel. And uh, me and my buddies, Denton Bible Church guys, we were always down in the front row. And there was Chuck Swindoll up on the deal with all the other professors. And of course, he was the president. And that brother loved to worship Christ through song. And it showed all over his body. He would sing from the gut all over his face, and if you didn't watch out, you were getting spit on. Not just when he would preach, because he would spit on you when he preached, 
But even he'd be further back when he was singing, and he would just sing to the Lord. I'll be honest, I'd never seen Pastor Tom Nelson just, and I'm not banging on Tom, but just never seen him sing like Chuck Swindoll would sing to Jesus. Went on to plant a church up in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and during my years there, I went to a Bethlehem conference for pastors. That was Bethlehem Baptist Church up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where Pastor John Piper was the pastor. Bethlehem conference for pastors, and me and my buddy that was with me in one particular big gathering got on the second row. And providence of good providence, here comes Pastor John Piper and sits right in front of us. And that was really cool. And what was so amazing was to, from the backside, watch him worship Jesus. We just sing. And he'd lift his hands to Jesus and he'd get up on his toes and just be singing just as loud as he could. In his writings, if you're familiar with John Piper, he calls it white hot worship of Jesus. Not lukewarm, but just white hot worship for Christ. Over the years, I've somewhat tried to put Swindoll and Piper together and contemplated on my own theology. What, 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 what is this book saying is true about God and about me and about what God has done for a sinner like me and what He's doing and what He's going to do? And I think it's helped me grow in my worship of Jesus. And I'm not saying that it has to be expressive or this, that, and the other, but I'm just telling you my story. I'm still messed up, if you will. I still think my worship falls how far short of the worship that we will experience in the age to come. I get to go teach at the Canuck Institute up in Branson, Missouri twice a year this past year because of my stuff only once. But I teach them one of the times through the book of Acts. And always when we get to chapter 2 and we start talking about the giving of the Spirit and the gift of tongues, and it leads into a discussion about Pentecostalism and charismatic movement and the third wave movement and open but cautious and the cessationist position on these sorts of gifts. And, and we get all kinds of questions and we have a great time. Most of the time, I just say, you know what, I'm not so sure the answer to that. You know, that's a great question. I'm just not real sure. I try to answer where I can, but I try not to be dogmatic if I don't know the answer. But I joked with them this last time. I said, you know, I don't think I am where I one day will be in the age to come. Sometimes I feel like I'm a one-handed guy. They said, what do you, what do you mean by one-handed? I said, well, some, you know, John Piper, just both hands. Me, I'm kind of like, yes, Lord but I can't get the other one up. It's like, this is too much for Mitch. They laughed. We all bring our own experiences. Those are just my experiences. We bring our own personalities to worship. We bring our fears, our insecurities. We bring our cultural norms to the table. 
how we celebrate the Lord and worship Him is bound to be different from one person to the next. But I wonder if we can't get some direction from the Word of God that might help us grow in this area of discipleship. And so in chapter 12, I'm going to be a chicken. I'm, I'm, I'm skipping chapter 11. I'll let you have your quiet time in chapter 11. If you, if you look at it, they're repopulating the cities. And so it's a whole bunch of names and a whole bunch of numbers of those who would repopulate the cities from Judah and Benjamin and from the priests and from the Levites, the gatekeepers and the like. But down in chapter 12, verse 27 and following, we get to the dedication of the wall. If you're familiar, if you've been with us in the story of Nehemiah, it's the story of, of the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem. It had been destroyed by the Babylonians decades prior. The southern kingdom of Judah had been taken into exile. Vast amounts of the people gone. But then in fulfillment of God's promise, He, he allowed them to come back. And so under Zerubbabel, some 50,000 came back into the land and they rebuilt the temple. And then Ezra came back with about 2,000 and through the Word of God and prayer, rebuilt the people. And then under Nehemiah, he comes back and through his leadership in chapters 1 to 6, they rebuild the wall around the city. And then since chapter 7, we've been looking at, again, the reformation of the people. In chapter 7, it was again another list of people and we considered the faith that it would take to walk with God and to follow Him in this reforming of the people. In chapter 8, the emphasis was upon the Word of God as it was read to them and they were so attentive to it and when they understood it, they obeyed it. In chapter 9, we looked at their prayer of confession as they focused in on God's grace to them throughout the ages, how they had so often turned away from Him to their own sin, but how He had responded in such compassion towards them. In chapter 10, we saw their intention to obey God. In light of His grace, in light of His compassion towards them, they wanted to obey the Lord. And now, finally, in chapter 11, they repopulate the city of Jerusalem, and now they're going to dedicate the wall. In verse 27, now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving, and with songs, to the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. And so they assemble and they put these two choirs together in verse 31 and following Ezra is leading one of these choirs that will be up on the wall and circle around the city one way. And then in verse 38, the second choir proceeded in the other direction and I followed them. That's Nehemiah. So Ezra is leading one of the choirs. Nehemiah is leading another one of the choirs. They're going around the wall and then they would meet. Verse 40, 
Then the two choirs took their stand in the house of God, and so they met and they moved in toward the temple area. Then in verse 43, and here's where I want us to spend our time this morning. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. Rejoiced. Great joy. Rejoiced. Joy. Four times over in one verse. It just, to me, the verse popped off the page as I thought about preaching this Sunday. I see at least four things, try and share them with you quickly. Let's come to God. Let's come to worship God and dedicate our life to Him each Lord's Day. Verse 43, on that day, now, this was not the Sabbath day for them. This was not what we would call the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. But it was a day that they wanted to gather to celebrate the goodness of God, to remember what He had done for them, and to bless Him and thank Him for His mercies towards them and dedicate this wall to Him. Hey, on this particular day, folks, we're going to gather together and we're going to remember the goodness of God. We're going to remember what He's done for us. We're going to remember who we are and we're going to dedicate this wall to Him. And I just wonder, do we not try to say the same thing to each other each and every Lord's Day, the first Sunday, the first day of the week, when we gather on Sunday to worship our God and dedicate our lives anew to Him. We remember who our God is. We remember what He has done in particular, what He has done in grace and mercy towards us. We remember who we are as a result. We're the forgiven children of God. We are His servants. We are those whom He has sent out into the world to shine the light of the good news of the gospel. And as we remember who He is and what He has done for us and who we are as a result, and as we consider how then we should live, we praise Him. We thank Him. In Acts 2.47, the early days of the church... The book of Acts says they were together praising God. In Ephesians 5, verse 18 and following, Paul instructs the church in Ephesus to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And so we come every Lord's Day to praise Him, to thank Him, and to, as they would dedicate the wall, to dedicate our life 
to him. We'll get there. Secondly, on that day they offered great sacrifices. Not only let's come to worship God and dedicate our lives to him, but interestingly enough, let's offer great sacrifices to our God. Now, they offered great sacrifices. What does that mean? Lots of animals, lots of dead animals. If we take our cue from 1 Kings chapter 8, whenever Solomon built the temple of God in Jerusalem and they dedicated it to the Lord, listen to what chapter 8 verse 5 says, quote, they were sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Wow. Now this day of offering great sacrifices would not have been that big, right? This is just the returned remnant that had come back. But even on this day, as they have gathered together to worship God, to thank God, and dedicate this wall to God, they are offering to Him great sacrifices. You say, Mitch, we don't offer sacrifices anymore. We don't offer sin offerings and guilt offerings and peace offerings. We don't, we don't bring bulls and goats here on Sunday morning and do what we would do. And you are exactly right. Jesus Christ has come. And in fulfillment of that sacrificial system whereby one of these animals would die in the place and for the sinner, Jesus comes and He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen. But you know what? The New Testament speaks of a number of different sacrifices that New Covenant believers offer to God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, after, if you're familiar with Romans, chapters 1 through 11, the glory of 1 through 11, he then says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to what? To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In the Old Covenant, they would, they would offer up an animal on the altar, and it would burn, and the aroma would go up. And if you will, God would breathe it, and, and it was well-pleasing to Him, a pleasing aroma. It was acceptable to Him. And Paul says that you and I are to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice which is acceptable to God. Earlier in the book of Romans, in light of the fact that we've been united to Jesus, have died with Him, and been raised with Him to walk in newness of life, Paul says, therefore, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We are meant to present our whole selves to Him as an offering, as a sacrifice which is acceptable to Him. Here's another one. In Romans chapter 15, Paul seems to talk about his ministry as a sacrifice that he offers to God. 
He says to the Romans, I've written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the, to the Gentiles. So Paul says, hey, Romans, I know I've written to you very boldly in chapters 1 all the way through 15. And it's because I've been set apart to be a minister of Christ to you Gentiles. So, so I want to write boldly because I want to build you up ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul seemed to feel like that he was a priest, if you will, and the ministry that he had towards the Gentiles was, was an offering that he was offering up to God. Maybe you teach in kids' ministry. Maybe you teach in student ministry or lead a group on Wednesday night. Or, or maybe you're greeting at the door. Or maybe you lead us in worship. Or, or maybe you minister to your neighbors. The ministry that you and I do, in some sense, is an offering to God acceptable to Him. Here's another one. In Hebrews 13, verse 15, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of the lips that give thanks to His name. Now, whenever you spend time with the Lord and you praise Him, whenever you're driving down the road and you got the music on and you're praising Him, whenever you and I gather here and we're praising Him and giving thanks to His name, the author of Hebrews says that's a sacrifice that we are offering up to the Lord. In the next verse, here's another, Hebrews 13, 16. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And then finally in Philippians 4, Philippians, in many ways, is a thank you letter to the Philippian church for their incredible generosity in supporting Paul's gospel ministry. And at the end of the book, he says, I have received everything in full and have an abundance because they had sent him another gift, and he wrote Philippians in response. I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We don't offer bulls and goats, pigeons and the like. All of that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But the New Testament speaks of a number of different sacrifices that you and I offer up to God. Our personal devotion, our ministry, our praise, our doing good and sharing, even giving to support the good work of the gospel, all of these pleasing, well-pleasing to the Lord. 
So let's gather to worship our God and dedicate our lives to Him. Let's offer up great sacrifices to our God. And then number three, let's kindle joy with meditation on God's great work. Now, meditation is not here, but I'll share with you how I got it. On that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. Four times over, sometimes when I see that, I'm like, you know what? I don't remember Hebrew anymore, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it and see, is, is it really four times in there in one little verse? Joy, 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 joy. And yes, it is. Four times in this one verse, joy. I think it's because they understood who their God is. As they came together on this particular day to celebrate God with gladness, to sing to Him, they, they, they probably had in mind things like they had said back in chapter 9, verse 32. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness. They knew who their God is. And they apparently had in mind all that He had done for them. You'll remember from chapter 9, we recounted it over and over and over. His gracious acts towards them. You, then you, then you, then you, then you. Just one thing after another that God had done for Israel. That they surely had in mind and not only those gracious acts, but again, that great compassion which God had showed them. Remember? You, 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 but we turned away and rebelled in sin. But you, compassion, 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 compassion. Six times over, always in response to their sin and rebellion, God responds in compassion. He did not forsake them, but He forgave them. They remembered that. Who their God is, what He had done. And surely as a result, who they were, they were the recipients of His goodness. They were the beloved people of God. And pondering upon that and realizing that, as they came together. Look what God has done. Here we are. and The walls are rebuilt. Joy. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. And joy. May it be true of us. What is joy? It's, it's gladness. It's deep satisfaction in God. John Piper defines it as a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as He causes us 
to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. So it's this, it's this good feeling in the soul. It's gladness. It's satisfaction. It's joy produced by the Holy Spirit as He helps us to see the goodness of Christ in the Word and even in the world. We see who Christ is. We see what Christ has done. And the Spirit of God takes that and it res we respond in joy. Gladness. And the reason I put meditation in here to kindle this joy through meditation is because I saw a quote this week that I thought was really good. Thomas Watson, Puritan pastor, theologian, wrote, a Christian without meditation is like a soldier without weapons or a workman without tools. Meditation, Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law, He meditates day and night. To meditate is to think upon, to ponder, to linger over. It's to take that bag of tea and, and, and dip it in the water. You don't just dip it in and then pull it out and drink your tea. But you put it in there and you let it soak When you and I think about the goodness of God towards us, just as Israel did in chapter 9, you remember we talked about we have a story of grace too. All of us who know Jesus, it's because He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. And then He called us, and then He regenerated us, and justified us, and adopted us, and is sanctifying us, and will one day glorify us. And it's all of grace when we ponder those things. Meditate upon those things. It kindles joy in our hearts. I love what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, writing to those Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor. He said, though you do not see Him now, right? We don't see Christ. He's come. He's lived. He's died. He's risen. He's ascended. Though you do not see Him now, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. We don't see Christ except with the eyes of faith through His Word. And we understand who He is and what He has done for us and who we are as a result. And as we meditate upon that and ponder that, joy inexpressible and full of glory. We say around here that we want to joyfully follow Jesus. And help others do the same. As I've been praying throughout Awake in West Houston, one of the phrases that, that, that kept coming up is, is I personally prayed for my 17 households. One of the burdens was, okay, God, one of the great miracles that's going to have to happen is you are going to have to begin a convicting work in their heart. You're just going to have to do that. 
you said that you would send the Spirit and He would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Lord, you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to begin to work in their hearts to where they feel the weight of their sin or some longing for forgiveness or something. But then, God, another miracle is you're going to have to get the gospel to them. They've got to hear the gospel in order to be saved. And so, oh God, would you do the miracle of getting the gospel to them? Lord, is it through a dream? Is it through a vision? Is it them thumbing through the radio and landing upon a preacher of the gospel? Is it late night going through and landing upon a faithful preacher of the gospel on TV? Is it a friend that they work with? Is it a, is it a, a Christian? Most of mine were in an apartment complex. God, are you going to have to miraculously raise up a Christian within that complex who's going to begin to live on mission with you, with gospel intentionality, who's going to begin to pray for their neighbors and, and share the gospel with them, Lord. And so in light of that, I begin, Lord, make us joyful evangelists. Joyful evangelists. Not just evangelists, but joyful people who are just so overwhelmed at the greatness of our God and what He has done for us and His grace and His mercy that it just leads us to be so joyful that we would love to share that good news with others. Do you meditate upon the great wonders of our faith? You think on them and ponder on them and just go, wow. I think it'll kindle joy in our hearts. Finally, on that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. If you were preaching, what would you say? I just say it like this. Consider singing louder. Sing like Swindoll. Maybe that should be the point. You could hear Swindoll. I'm sure if you were standing outside of Chafer Chapel, you'd have heard him. Just belting it out. The other night at our home, we had a young couple over to our church, from our church for dinner and had a great time with them. And they live just south of Legacy Stadium and Rhodes Stadium in that, in that neighborhood, just south of Rhodes Stadium. And we asked them on Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, whatever, can you all hear the game? And they said, oh yeah, oh yeah. Not just the band, but when something good happens, just last week, Tara and Macy took a trip down to A&M and walking around the campus, and boy, you just can't miss it, right? There it is, Kyle Field. Oh. And it's so cool because it's right there on campus, right? I mean, it's boom, right there. And you just wonder, what would it be like to be walking across campus, not to be even in the stadium, but walking across campus on a Saturday evening 
when A&M and Alabama are going at it and A&M takes them down. What would you have heard, right? Could you have heard it from afar? I'm sure you could. <sighs> place just shaking with joy. With great joy. In Revelation, you don't have to turn there. Revelation chapter 5, right? 4 and 5 is that vision into heaven of what's going on there. Of all of the worship. And to be truthful, in chapter 4, the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. So if we were sticklers, we'd say, hey, Mitch, they're just saying it. So they might just be just saying it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their, cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Right? It just says they're just saying it. Chapter 5. When Jesus had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. So at least in this one, they're, they're singing it. They're just saying it. Worthy are you to take the book, to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. But then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So only once does it tell us it was with a loud voice. If I was guessing though, that controls all that's going on here. I looked at it just for fun in the Greek this morning. Phone, that's voice. Megalay. Mega. Megalay. 
loud, mega voice. Pretty cool. Are you a mega singer? On this particular day when they gathered to worship God, pondering all of His goodness, they rejoiced such that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. Maybe here's what you and I could do. And we talked about giving, and I often quote Andy Stanley, giving, you know, make it a priority, make it a percentage. But then as you, as you grow in faith, maybe you, you progressive. Maybe, maybe you, as you learn to trust God, you give a little bit more, and you give a little bit more, and you give a little bit more. Maybe, just maybe, as you ponder and meditate upon the grace of God, as you sing to the Lord, even on Sunday mornings, just turn the dial up a little bit. Maybe then a little bit more, a little bit more. Sing to the Lord as they do in heaven with a loud voice. Close with this. I won't tell you who it is. But I love listening to, it's a, it's a Together for the Gospel album that was recorded live in Louisville, Kentucky with 10,000 men in the arena singing. And I sent it to some buddies the other day and said, hey, pick a few of these songs, learn them by heart, and as you're driving down the road, turn it up and sing as loud as you can. And one of the guys texted me yesterday. He was listening to this album, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. He said, this one is fantastic. I'm out here in the garage working. I'm listening and singing. My neighbors probably think an animal is dying somewhere close by. Well, if you sound like that, maybe you can keep it down a little bit. No, I love it. He's out there working. He's got it turned up, and he's singing. Sounds like a dead animal, but singing from the heart to our great God. We finish up Nehemiah next week. Guess what? The book ends with a thud. They need a Savior, just like we did. We'll take a look at it. Father in heaven, thank you for your word this morning. And thank you for your grace. The gospel is a treasure chest of grace. We open up that lid and look in at all of the sparkles of your choosing us, not based upon our goodness, but according to your free and sovereign will of sending the gospel our way. We heard it. The good news of the gospel, we heard it. And then your Holy Spirit opened our hearts to believe it. When we did, you declared us to be righteous. You forgave us of our sins. You adopted us into your family. You indwelt us with your spirit. You enlisted us in your cause, and you will keep us safe and secure, nothing to ever separate us from your love until our day 
will come and you will bring us home and forevermore we will be with you. We bless you for your grace and ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to see ever deeper into these glories and produce within us the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. And we would rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And we might sing to the praise and glory of our God with a mega voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.